0: Thank you so much for joining us again. It is no secret that there is a move afoot globally to radically decrease the human population. And who would be more for that goal than the abortion lobby? But a new special investigative report from Operation Rescue reveals that there is an organization in America with this agenda that is training thousands of new abortionists in America. And guess what? you're paying for it. And we're going to find out more about this now from Cheryl Solinger, who is senior vice president over at Operation Rescue. So good to have you with us, Cheryl. How are you?
2: Hey, I'm doing well. It's great to be here. Oh, thank
0: you. I really appreciate everything you write. You do such great digging into the abortion industry and, and, and telling us all the things we need to know. This one was new to me. I had not heard about this organization. But maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this abortionist training through this Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health, because I would imagine a lot of listeners have never even heard of this group.
2: Right. The Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health is actually based out of the University of California, San Francisco, and its home offices are located in the Zuckerberg, San Francisco General Hospital. So there's a lot of um, red flags right there just (laughs) looking at the liberal area that this is from. But they run two abortion training programs, the Ryan Residency Abortion Training Program and the Fellowship in Family Planning. Um, One is a four-year course. The other is a two-year course. And uh, they reimburse the residents that sign up for these um, residencies. They, re- they um, also reimburse the-, the institutions that host these um, programs all over the country. In fact, we were able to find about 89 of these um, different programs all over the country based in hospitals and universities. And we were able to connect a a number of them to um, abortion clinics where the residents actually do the abortion training. They're trained through second trimester abortions, and they're also trained in contraception, like, um, for example, um, Norplant inserting these long-acting contraceptives in women that can last up to up to twelve years, I understand. Oh wow! So there's a there's a lot of things going on here, and it's just really uh, remarkable how many respectable institutions are actually involved in
0: this. Oh yeah, there's so much to get into, but you had talked about the fact that with the establishment of this Bixby Center in 1999 it was moving away from the grain trend, as you call it, as far as the abortionists who are moving out of doing abortions, and then you had the abortion lobby worried that not enough abortionists were coming on board. What does it say about the Bixby Center and about these efforts that it became required that residency programs training in OBGYN had to provide access to abortion training. Was that all kind of in the same time period? And was that really the reason that the Bixby Center came on board as it did?
2: Um, Actually, yes. I I think the Bixby Center was created in response to the fact that the abortionists were getting older and retiring. They were worried there weren't going to be enough, that there wouldn't be Um, as many abortion clinics as they had hoped for after Roe v. Wade. So um, the key thing that happened was in 1996, when the ACGME, which is an accreditation council for graduate medical students, um, they actually were the ones that said, look, if you're going to have a residential OBGYN program, it must include access to abortion training. And then um, the Bixby Center kind of came in a response to that. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if the people behind that were all in in cahoots, to be honest. Yeah. You know, they seem to all be in cahoots. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> you know, seems like so that. One way or another.
0: <laughs> well, I know you say it, it trains about 360 new abortionists each year. So how many abortions are these trainee abortionists doing under the Bixby Center programs?
2: Um, They do an average of about 38 abortions per year. They're trained in medication abortions. They're trained in manual uterine aspirations, which is, you know, uh, a process that does not require a suction machine. They're also trained in suction aspirations and dilation evacuations, which are the the abortions that take place in the second trimester. So, and, and it's really interesting because, Um, these residents have been asked, you know, do you plan on continuing to supply abortions in the future after after you're finished with this residency? And um, 82% of them said yes, they would do it for medical reasons. 59% said they would do it for any reason. Oh,
0: my goodness.
2: So these people are very, very well indoctrinated and trained to do these abortions. Um, I don't know how well. That training is because what we did was we traced some of the programs and there were three um, abortion clinics in particular that really raised our eyebrows. One was the Margaret Sanger Planned Parenthood in New York City. Um, They have an inordinate amount of medical emergencies at that particular clinic. It seems like a constant string of ambulances. (laughs) Another one was um, preterm in um, Cleveland, Ohio. They've had a number of medical emergencies there, including two patient deaths, and they're a real big training center for, like, two of the Ryan residency programs, and then there was another one in St. Louis, the St. Louis Planned Parenthood, which the state is actually attempting to shut that one down because of the serious botched abortions that went on there. We've documented 76 altogether at that particular clinic, so... These residency programs pose actually a danger to women from what we can see just from the information that we have um, been able to find and that has been reported to us, it seems like these training um, programs pose
0: hazards to women. Oh, man, there's so much there I want to get into. But when we're looking at the Bixby Center in particular, of these trainees, do all of them or most of them become abortionists when they get out of their training program? I mean, is that specifically the direction they're going? Or is it in some cases abortion training as part of broader training in OBGYN and they don't necessarily turn into abortionists?
2: Well, the the vast majority do turn into abortionists. Um, I think a lot of them, um, once they become abortionists, work in the abortion clinics, they realize that that's not for them and they don't stick around. We've seen that over and over again. But um, enough of them do that they're able to keep all of the clinics open that are open now, and, in fact, they're even starting um, to slightly expand into additional um, communities. So that was what we were able to find out during our last clinic survey that we took last fall.
0: Yeah, and don't you say the trainees are mostly young women? Is that right?
2: Yes, very much. Mostly young women. I would say from what we can see of the composition of the residencies, because they actually publish their their pictures in some of these programs. They publish them on their um, websites the institutional website. But um, mostly women, maybe, I don't know, one out of five or six might be a young man, but most of them are young women who um, are training in abortion because they've, you know, bought the propaganda that abortion is needed, women need abortions, and abortions help women, when we know that that's just not really the case. And I think a lot of these people learn that once they start into working at an abortion clinic full-time, you start realizing, and so a lot of them don't stick around.
0: Don't you think that that's kind of a further evil, that you have women now becoming abortionists in greater numbers? I mean, a woman should have a maternal instinct that maybe a man would not understand quite in the same way. It seems like that would take even more of a seared conscience to do abortions if you were a woman.
2: Yeah, I think it's part of the whole feminism thing, though. You know, the women's equality and all that stuff that they are exposed to in some of these universities, especially like the University of um, San Francisco, California, San Francisco. Yeah,
0: makes sense. Cheryl, hang on just a moment. We're going to pause for a break. We'll come back talking with Cheryl Sollinger from Operation Rescue about her new investigative report on the organization Training Abortionists that you're paying for. We'll get into that more when we come back on Janet Meffer today. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? don't go a whole year without having a health care program sign up with Liberty HealthShare as a Christian health care sharing ministry Liberty HealthShare is not insurance so you can still sign up in fact you can sign up any time of year and there are no contracts starting as low as $199 a month Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles couples and families so you can choose the ideal program for your situation plus Liberty HealthShare has no network so you're free to pick your own doctors hospitals and providers Liberty HealthShare as a non-profit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born center, it is a divine appointment. It's where she encounters the love of Jesus Christ and has the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her and find out that every baby's life matters.
2: I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it
0: didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 80% of women in crisis pregnancies choose life after meeting their babies on ultrasound. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us. And it's great to have with us. Cheryl Sollinger, Senior Vice President of Operation Rescue. She is out with a new special investigative report over at OperationRescue.org. Targeted for depopulation, this organization is training thousands of new abortionists in America, and you are paying for it. Cheryl, we were talking before the break about the name of this group, the Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health at the University of California, San Francisco. Tell us about the funding. Tell us about where they're getting their money. I know they're somewhat secretive, but what can you you tell us about how we're helping to pay for this training of these abortionists
2: the most recent financial data we were able to get was from a 2017 annual report after 2017 the bixby center stopped including financial information in their annual reports and at that time there was about 51% of their funding that came from governmental sources. Some of that, a lot of that, in fact, was from the state of California, various programs within that state. But a lot of it was also from the federal government. In fact, um, they had a list of different Um, agencies that actually supported them. And, you know, some of them were really kind of surprising, like the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism and um, an allergy, National Institute of Allergies and things like that. It's kind of surprising that these um, agencies would be funding um, abortion training programs. But these are the ones that were listed on their 2017 report. Now it's possible. That the Trump administration could have defunded some of these programs. And in fact, I think it's likely, but we know not 100% of them, we believe. Um, And we know that the state of California continues to fund this organization.
0: Well, that is really disturbing because for many, many years with the Hyde Amendment and all sorts of other arguments that we've been making in the last several years about Planned Parenthood getting $500 million plus from taxpayers, we understand that we should not be forced to pay for abortions. What is it as far as paying for abortions that is so obscure to people? I mean, seriously, if you're giving money to this organization and they're training people to kill children, then I'm helping to kill children if I'm part of the money that's going through those governmental sources.
2: Right. That's correct. And I I really believe that the Trump administration is doing everything they can to take the money away from organizations like this. I know the Office for Population Affairs that is listed as a contributor to the Big Bixby Center in this 2017 report, um, they have been primarily denied funding for Um, anything related to abortion so far. So, so, you know, I know that some of this money has been taken away, but just looking at, we know that we have paid in the past. In 2017, 2016, we were paying boatloads of money to this organization to perpetuate abortion in America, because without this organization training uh, new, new abortionists, we would have only a fraction of the abortion clinics left right. in this country. And so it's really, um, it's really sad that we have contributed to that and are continuing to. But there's other funders to this that are also disturbing, and there are people that are known for funding depopulation programs all over the world. They give a lot of money to make sure women are not having babies, and, um, and that's also disturbing.
0: Well, right, because when you talk about feminists saying it's a woman's right to choose and reproductive rights and all that garbage that we've been hearing for so many years, the other piece of it is what you just mentioned, that you have a whole lot of radical global um, people who are on this train where they want to decrease the global population. And we've seen, you know, abortion lobby organizations getting quite involved in that sort of thing. What about the Bixby Center? Are they overtly a depopulation you know organization do they openly admit that they want to see less of a population worldwide or is that just kind of assumed what what, do you, what did you find out
2: well what we did was we looked at all of their partners that they have listed um we looked at the people that are funding them and these are all big population control people um with a lot of money to spend and the big center um actually has international programs, like there's one in Kenya that's really invested in lowering that population. And um, so we see that, and there's some in Africa also. They have targeted these third world countries. They say they're too populated. So yeah, there is a population control um, thing that they're trying to
0: promote here there's hmm.
2: just really no doubt about that yeah yeah i i just I, there's so many things
0: in your report here Cheryl that disturb me one of which was the fact that you say the Bixby Center has helped ensure that 64% of OBGYN resident training programs now include abortion training which is up 13% since 2004 uh, is that just by virtue of them bringing in more students how have they helped ensure that that the abortion training is going up? What, what sorts of things have they been involved in doing that?
2: Well, they go to the programs, the residency programs, and they encourage them to adopt one of their training programs. That way, they don't have to, like, develop a program. But if they want it accredited, they come with accreditation. They're already accredited, so it's an easy thing. They, the, like, Ryan Residency Program, they come in with accreditation. It fulfills the um, requirements for accreditation and um, it's a already um, program that is already in um, progress so they just need to adopt that and um, also there's money involved because the Ryan program gives money not only to the residents but to the trainers and then also to the institutions so there's a monetary Um, incentive for them to bring these programs in. And it makes them look like then they have a full range of training for um, residents and things like that. And they can use it for a recruiting tool.
0: Yeah. But why are they so secretive about their funding and some of the things that they're doing? You mentioned that many institutions have removed any mention of these programs, especially the Ryan program. To what do you attribute this secrecy that, that, that they're operating under?
2: Well, I think they don't want to be found out, to be honest. I think there's a lot of things that are going on with the Bigsby Center and all of their programs that they really don't want um, people to be 100% aware of, and especially their funding sources. Sometimes their funding sources are very um, secretive. For example, um, the Susan T. Buffett Foundation used to be the sole... Um, donor to this program, they provided all of the funds to keep the Ryan program um, open and and, re- and operating. Um, now you don't see that foundation on any of the lists anymore. They're anonymous, and I think it's because the Buffett um, companies took a lot a uh, hit for that. They took a lot of heat for being involved in funding this abortion training program. Um, I, in fact, I would have friends that would. Um, Protest at their annual meetings every year, and so, um, yeah. So now they're, they're they've they've kind of gone underground. But people like Bill and Melinda Gates, they have. You can imagine how much money they have. Um, they've committed um, three hundred and seventy-five million dollars to population control and abortion over oh. just four years at the Big Center. Yikes! And that's the kind of money that most of us came and hardly wrap our heads around. Right. It, it raises you know, but the, that's the kind right. of money that's going in. And that's the kind yeah. of money
0: that's going in. Why in the world do they need taxpayer funds at all then?
2: Well, I don't think they do need taxpayer funds. But um, I think there's a little bit of a coercion thing involved. They, they expect that the government will be involved in it. And I think this is kind of um, also leads to another agenda item, and that is the aspect of um, uh, socialized medicine, a new program that the government controls and runs for our health care yeah. that the plan has always been for that to include you know free abortions at taxpayer expense and free you know birth control and everything else at taxpayer expense. So I think they have an eye to socialized medicine and a government-run health care program that they can insert themselves into. I
0: see. So just kind of setting the stage for when they're able to pull the trigger on single-payer and become even more monstrous in how they control our healthcare care system via government?
2: Which would have happened already if the last presidential election had turned out differently. Yes. So all that would have happened already. So yes. thank God that we don't have that. We've had kind of a stay, so to speak, on that. Kind of thing, but um, if these people ever regain power in Washington, D.C., then we can expect this kind of thing to be really pushed through very rapidly. Well, yeah,
0: and it's so disturbing. You've got, people need to read your report and they can read all the details, but you guys have documented over 240 medical emergencies and four deaths at 21 of the abortuaries that are used by the Bixby Center. But then you also point out that trainees with these Bixby programs involved in some of the botched abortions wouldn't even cooperate with a state investigation into them.
2: Is that right? That's correct. That's why the state of Missouri is, Um, attempting to pull the license of the last remaining abortion clinic in that um, state because they were involved in four medical emergencies where women's lives were placed in danger and the trainees that were involved in those incidents have lawyered up and refused to cooperate and so the state is like going well wait if you guys can't cooperate and give good reasonable explanations for why these women suffered these injuries then we can't we can't license you. Yeah. So of course, Planned Parenthood food, and you know we we are expecting a final decision on that here in the next month or so. But. Um, That's one of the reasons why the state is trying to pull their licenses, because of non-cooperation of these trainees that were involved in these horrifically botched abortions.
0: Well, what a great report. You can read it over at OperationRescue.org. Cheryl Sullinger, great job. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for being with us. Well, thank you very much. Oh, God bless you. Keep up the good work. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. All right, I am not going to get all worked up about this necessarily but I was a little bit surprised about this news regarding the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission And what the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention just said it will do. And this is via Religion News Service. The Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee will launch a task force to examine the activities of its Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the convention's public policy organization, headed by the theologian and author Russell Moore. Southern Baptist leaders fear controversy over Moore could lead to a drop in donations. Very interesting. I want to go over to the Baptist Press version of this story because this is the official arm of the SBC. The ERLC, it writes, is tasked with helping churches understand the moral demands of the gospel and public policy as well as promoting religious liberty on behalf of Southern Baptists. Now, I just want to pause very quickly. And if you have not been listening to me for very long, you might not realize that I have been on this issue of Russell Moore uh, for a number of years now, what, about six years now, uh, 2014 was when I first started to become alarmed about Russell Moore because of some remarks that he made about Christian talk radio, which I'm going to play for you here in a couple of minutes. But I have become increasingly concerned about the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And I would say my concerns in 2020 are not relegated merely to my concerns about Russell Moore as being uh, somebody who is, I would say, personality-wise and agenda-wise unsuited for that role for a number of reasons. I've written about it in a very long piece that I wrote back in 2017, Russell Moore versus conservatives. This isn't just about Trump. But nowadays, one of the things that I've noticed really since 2016 in the election of Donald Trump, whom Russell Moore has no love lost over, is the issue of the Southern Baptists' interests not being met by this entity because Russell Moore is at the helm. And let me explain to you what I, what I believe about this. If you have the largest Protestant denomination in the United States that has an entity that is tasked with public policy on behalf of this big denomination, and you have a guy who has so alienated the president of the United States that he has played no major role in advancing the cause of religious liberty with this White House, then why do you even have the entity at all? Or at the very least, why do you have the guy who's heading up the entity employed there It's not in the interests of the Southern Baptists. You want to have somebody who is at the top of your public policy entity who can actually have an effect. That's what the organization is there for. That's what the head of that organization is there for, ostensibly. You don't want to put somebody in that job who can't be effective and can't really make any difference on advancing religious liberty. And it's incredibly ironic, in my view, that during a period of time where you have seen more religious liberty advances in the last few years under President Trump that the ERLC at the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S., has officially at least had very little to do with it because you've had Russell Moore at the head of the ERLC. You'll remember a couple of years ago, Russell Moore was really poking the bear with Donald Trump. He's not just a virulent never-Trumper, which he certainly has been, but he was really snarky about it. And you can go back and read some of the comments that he made at the time. He was putting out kind of nasty tweets about Donald Trump, and Donald Trump finally responded and said he was a nasty man with no heart. And then Russell Moore put that up on his bio on Twitter. It was extremely juvenile. And it, at the time that this all occurred, I said, this guy this guy should not be heading up the E. ER. R.L.C. you know not only is he a liberal but he, he's just he doesn't have the personality he doesn't have the maturity to conduct himself in such a way that he would be able to do his job because isn't it the job of somebody in that position to be able to wheel and deal and advance the interests of the denomination so for whatever weird reason the Southern Baptist Convention has been content to let this guy languish in the job there was some you know I would say, some upheaval a couple of years ago, whether or not Russell Moore would lose his job or not. And, and he was saved because some people had threatened to pull their cooperative program funding over him. And then he, he his job was saved, but then they kind of muted him. And he's calmed down since then. He hasn't been nearly as offensive as he was the first couple of years that he was there in that job. But on the other hand, how effective has he been? He's been sitting around talking about robots. I'm not kidding. He's talking about robots. He's holding his pro-life event saying that pro-life doesn't just mean babies and saving unborn babies. What else has he been wasting his time on? What has the guy been doing for the last two years that has advanced the interests of the Southern Baptist Convention in any meaningful way in public policy? He has no relationship with Donald Trump because he offended Donald Trump. And some people may say that that's to his credit. He's so bold and he's so prophetic that he's alienated the president. Well, okay. But that's not the purpose of being a lobbyist, is it? That's not the purpose. You want your lobbyist to be Brave, bold prophets who can't work with people in Washington—they shouldn't be in the lobbyist job. They should be in the prophet's job. So this is something that I think is an important background when it comes here. Now, now one of the things that's interesting to me is it has been mentioned in this Baptist Press article. That the executive committee chairman Mike Stone, who's going to chair the task force, unequivocally refuted a question as to whether this was an attempt to remove ERLC President Russell Moore from his position. His quote was this: "This is not an attempt to remove Dr. Moore. It wasn't in 2017, and it certainly is not now. What we want to do is look at the facts. Dr. Moore's presidency was and is a matter for the ERLC Board of Trustees." So it seems there, what he's saying is that this is we can't we can't deal with that issue. The ERLC is governed by their board of trustees. This is not a governance issue. This is a budget issue related to their fulfillment of their mission and ministry assignment. We continue to hear reports that are largely anecdotal but increasing in number where churches are either decreasing or withholding cooperative program funds related to concerns with the ERLC. We have a responsibility that we are granted under the bylaws of the SBC to look at this. So that's what it's all about. Now going back to 2017, a third. 13-member ad hoc committee received reports from executive directors of State Baptist Conventions that 75 churches across the SBC were withholding, designating, or escrowing cooperative program funds. While only 14 churches were able to be confirmed by the committee, those 14 churches were estimated to have diverted a total of about $1.5 million away from the cooperative program. I would imagine that that number is bigger now, but who knows? They're going to take a look at the facts. They're going to try to see if there's any connection between cooperative programs dips in funding and people's disgust with the ERLC. But you know what? Here's, Here's something else that I think needs to be considered. Russell Moore is safe at the ERLC because of who's in leadership. In the SBC, largely speaking. There are different people. There are a lot of people in the SBC. But for example, I have said for a long time, you know, Russell Moore came from Al Mohler's seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He wouldn't be in that job if Al Moeller wasn't in favor of him being in that job. In all the instances in which Russell Moore has said outrageous things, I've never once heard Al Moeller make a stink about it, Mr. Conservative Hero. I've never heard him take to task Russell Moore's comments on Christian Talk Radio, which by the way, let's let's listen to to that, shall we? Let's go back to this cut from 2014. This is cut five.
1: I listened on the way back up here from my hometown to some Christian talk radio this week against my doctor's orders. (laughs) And honestly, if all that I knew of Christianity was what I heard on Christian talk radio, I'd hate it too. There are some people who believe that fidelity to the gospel simply means speaking, you kids get off my lawn. That is not the message that has been given to us. If the call to repentance does not end with the invitation that is grounded in the bloody cross and the empty tomb of Jesus, we are speaking a different word than the word that we have been given.
0: All right. When I heard that comment out of the ARLC Leadership Summit back in 2014, that was when I first said, what is wrong with this guy? Why would he take a broad swipe at Christian Talk Radio and imply that all of us with this broad charge, this broad straw man, imply that none of us care about the gospel, which is definitively ridiculous? It's ridiculous. And then he never apologized. I I called him out. It became a thing. He never apologized. He never clarified who was really in his sights. He never clarified which show was actually offending him. He just went on, oh, well, you know, he didn't care. And I thought, something's off with this guy. But Dr. Moeller didn't say anything that I recall about Russell Moore. In fact, Russell Moore filled in for him on his show. Was he insulting Al Moeller's show? Ah, Probably not. We're going to come back. Stay with us. Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both... Salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny, coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Speakers, including Dr. Everett Piper, Joe Dallas, Dr. Quentin Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians, and Greg Burt from the California Family Council, will all reveal the social, political, and spiritual threats to the church from this movement. They'll offer powerful biblical teaching and encouragement for the battle ahead. You'll hear testimonies from ex-homosexuals whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and learn how to answer common arguments that promote homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference, an outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City. And take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's voice. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I'm talking a little bit about really what is a surprising story to some of us, and that is the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee has now voted to create a study task force to review the past and present activities of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Now, there is a blog that a lot of people read that is, uh, I don't want to call it a liberal blog, but it is definitely not um a blog that is known for its conservatism. It is called SBC Voices, but they have a piece here. The executive committee's investigation of the ERLC should be scrutinized. The, and they say here in this piece, the investigation of the ERLC is troubling. What? Why would it be troubling? What's the, what's the issue here? This is all coming in the same context of the establishment of the conservative Baptist network. These guys don't like that. They don't like the conservative Baptist network. They want to run the show and they want the little people to understand their place. You know, you dum-dums down in, you know, the little small uh, hamlets in the South. You know, you guys are great as long as you're sending in your cooperative program funding to us. But don't you get out of line and tell us what to do. I mean, these some of these people actually have that attitude. We're the guys in charge. We're the ones who are handling things. You all just pipe down. I mean, how obnoxious is this? Why shouldn't the ERLC be scrutinized? The ERLC has been under fire for several years now for a lot of reasons. Now, I want to go over to some more cuts here from Russell Moore. I Because I still maintain, and I know that there is a structure within the Southern Baptist Convention, and you have, you know, as I mentioned before, they, they highlighted at the executive committee that you have a board of trustees with the ERLC. I understand all of those things. But I just don't think that anybody who is not advancing in to, in great detail the actual interests of the denomination, why in the world is the person maintaining their job? Do, is there some great need for somebody in the ERLC to be on the cutting edge of the robot issue because that's what's so important? Here's what I would say about that. I want to go back to some previous comments by Russell Moore on the gay agenda. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because, as you know, My heart and my attention and a lot of my energy has been on the revoice story starting back at the very beginning when we broke this story and and doing so many shows and doing our God's voice conference because I knew when Revoice came along and the LGBTQ plus Christianity activism came along right at the heart of the PCA that they were aiming their target at conservative churches. And I was thinking back to that family conference that they had with the ERLC a couple of years back where you had Al Moeller who was uh, repenting of having denied that there is such a thing as sexual orientation and talked about repenting of homophobia. And you had Russell Moore saying other things. Let's see, for example, he said he would attend a same-sex wedding reception. Uh, Even though he wouldn't go to a wedding, he would go to a same-sex wedding reception. Uh, And some other troubling comments. I want to go back. I don't have the exact date when he said this, but we do have some other cuts here. Still to this day, somebody needs to deal with this issue, because if there is one issue that is affecting the Church of Jesus Christ more than any other in a cultural sense, it is the LGBT agenda. And yes, Virginia, there is an LGBT agenda. I want you to listen to what Russell Moore had to say just a few years ago. Cut six.
1: There was the the sort of evangelical belligerence often in the last uh, generation that spoke, for instance, about the gay agenda. Uh, in which there was this this picture, almost as though there is a, a group of supervillains in a lair, uh, plotting somewhere the the downfall of the family. That I, I almost never hear that uh, in evangelical churches anymore. Instead, issues of of sexual morality are being addressed uh, consistently across the board, recognizing that everyone in the congregation has gay and lesbian children or parents or uh, neighbors or friends, uh, and that many of the people in our own congregations are same-sex attracted.
0: Okay. When you are saying, I never hear anybody talk about the gay agenda anymore as if it's some people off in a lair. I mean, he's denigrating the idea that there were ever any revolutionaries who said, here's how we're going to make sure that America gets on board with our agenda. Let me let me just remind you about a certain book that was published in the late 80s called After the Ball. And in fact, that book was the manifesto for how they plan to revolutionize America on gay issues. And they rolled it all out and it worked spectacularly. So it wasn't a figment of anybody's imagination to talk about the gay agenda. Dr. Moore, there really is a gay agenda. And might I remind people, there was a story here in the Wall Street Journal in October of 2014 about this ERLC conference. The headline was Baptist strike new tone on homosexuality from the pulpit in private. They mentioned more saying, what if you get invited to a same sex wedding ceremony? In that case, I would not attend the wedding. I would attend the reception. I have asked why would a Christian refuse to give moral credence to a sinful union only to turn around at the reception to help the couple celebrate it. But the story also noted more than a dozen Southern Baptists and gay rights advocates met for three hours but kept the topic of discussion secret. This was the same gathering at which people with the Restored Hope Network, which is a Christian group reaching out to people struggling with sexual sin, including homosexuality, did not get a booth at this ERLC conference, even though there was plenty of room for them to set up and several of their members were there at the conference. They didn't get to speak. They didn't get a booth. Well, that sure seems like a little bit of an agenda in and of itself. And there has never been any accountability on that. I still want to know what was discussed behind closed doors with the gay activists from the human rights campaign, because that was who the ERLC met with. And if anybody's going to investigate anything about the ERLC, I want to get to the bottom of that. And I know a lot of Southern Baptists who want to get to the bottom of that. You mock the gay agenda. You mock Christians who say that there's a problem with it. And then you meet behind closed doors with gay activists and you never have to reveal what you said. You never have to reveal what the agenda was that was discussed behind closed doors. Does that sound like open transparency on behalf of the Southern Baptist Christians of this country? Or does that sound like something that needs to be looked into? And reveal to the people of the Southern Baptist Convention who are giving money to support the ERLC. This is the stuff that sticks in my craw because it has never been dealt with. And I'm sorry, but at the when you're talking about a corporation and these kinds of things go on, that's one thing, but you're talking about a church denomination, a a, a, a whole group of churches, millions of people who give millions of dollars and are looking toward these leaders to follow the word of God and to faithfully obey Jesus Christ and to represent them well at the denominational level. And there is a whole lot of stuff that just isn't being dealt with. This is the crux of the bigger problem. That's my opinion. The bigger problem is where's the accountability? Where's the accountability and why do you have so many people denigrating the establishment of the conservative Baptist network? Al Mohler talking about the real network is the one of the Southern Baptist Convention as if he alone can determine what the real network is and everybody else just has to follow his definition. I'm sorry, but this is like Pope talk. This is like magisterium stuff. We will determine from on high what things are and you little people just sit down and take it. And I think more and more Southern Baptist Christians are saying, we don't have to take it. There are people who are leaving the Southern Baptist Convention with their churches over this kind of stuff. And there are people who want to fight to save the Southern Baptist Convention from this kind of stuff. But the reality is there is not the kind of accountability, it would seem, from everything that has happened over the last several years that there needs to be. There needs to be openness and transparency, and there needs to be biblical fidelity. And I am tired of listening to people talk about, hey, I'm pro-life. I have an orthodox theological statement. Hey, we're nobody's a liberal. That was Ronnie Floyd made that comment just a couple of days ago. There, There's an accusation that we're liberal. No, we're not. Well, you know what? If it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, don't tell me that you're not a duck. People are noticing what you're doing and, and heeding the words of Jesus, that we examine the fruits. That is the first and foremost way that you can tell whether or not a tree is good or bad is the kind of fruit that it's producing. And when the kind of fruit that is being produced involves critical race theory, intersectionality, social justice, endless racial bashing of people telling them that they're white supremacists and and they can't ever really get over it and they need to repent again and pass more resolutions and say they're sorry again and, again and again and again and again and again and you have secret meetings with gay activists you know at what point do Christians rise up in the Southern Baptist Convention and say enough is enough and that's what this is all about that's why the establishment of the conservative Baptist Network is so significant because it is representing thousands of Christians who have had enough of it they have been polite in many cases they they have trusted these leaders who they thought were conservatives. They're being assured that everything's okay. Just calm down. And it drives me crazy because the duplicity is unbelievable. And somebody needs to do something about it. And I am really glad that there are Christians who are rising up and at least trying to take the reins a little bit and look into the facts. Is there a connection between people who have stopped giving to the cooperative program the way that they previously did because of what the ERLC has been doing and or not doing? That's a good thing. That's a good step. Whether or not it will lead to any further accountability or any changes in jobs remains to be seen. But in any case, we need to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention that the Lord will bring that kind of transparency and bring his son back into the main focus, which is what I think Southern Baptists want more than anything else. It should be about Jesus and his word. We got to leave it there. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today.